You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Noel Herhusky-Schneider. And I'm Cade Young. This is the WFHB Local News for Tuesday, August 8th, 2023. But we also need some language in state law that says whoever draws the maps, you can't gerrymander. In today's feature report, WFHB correspondent Brooklyn Lambright touches on the impact of redistricting on Indiana's 2024 election, speaking with Executive Director of Common Cause Indiana, Julia Vaughn. More in the bottom half of tonight's program. Also coming up in the next half hour, Lil Bub's Lil Show, a co-production between the WFHB Local News and Lil Bub's Big Fund. But first, your local headlines. The Monroe County Council and Monroe County Commissioners held a joint meeting on August 3rd. First, Baker Tilly manager Jennifer Carmack reported on general requirements of the American Rescue Plan Act state fiscal recovery funds. We have been asked to go over some of the general requirements of the fiscal recovery funds. Um, so that's that's what we're going to do. And and certainly, if you have questions as we go through this information, just uh, just stop us and, and we can discuss anything that you would like to. Um, we're going to talk about the timeline for spending the funds um, and then also just some general uses that are allowable of the funds. So Chris is going to talk about the, the general uses, um, but I'm first going to go through uh, just the, the general requirements on the timeline for spending um, and then just some general information on the different types of payments as far as who can benefit from those payments and a little bit of a, a description on that. Um, so it's a little bit out of order on what's on the agenda, but we're going to cover everything just uh, just a little bit different order on that. Um, so to get started, one of the things that we've been asked to discuss is uh, the, the time frame in which the money can be obligated versus spent. So the requirement is that the obligation for this money occurs prior or by December 31st of 2024. So the, the Fed's define obligation as orders placed for property and services, contracts and subawards, and similar transactions that require payment. So essentially, there has to be a legal obligation to make this payment, and that legal obligation has to be in place by December 31st of 2024. Now, they do offer the uh, the two-year period after that, so up to December 31st of 2026, to actually spend the funds. Next, Mary Morgan gave an update on Heading Home, which receives ARPA funding. Um, just a reminder, we were born out of the pandemic um, by uh, many of you that are in this picture. Uh, this is from November 2021. Um, the idea was to create systemic changes um, for people who were seriously impacted and adversely affected by the pandemic um, and to make homelessness rare, brief, and non-repeating uh, for the region that we're in, which is uh, region 10 of the South Central Housing Network. Uh, that includes Monroe County, but also Morgan, Owen, Lawrence, 
Green, uh, and Martin. Um, so the county provided uh, funding for us as well as the city of Bloomington and um, others. And for that, we are very uh, appreciative. Morgan explained that Heading Home works with landlords to incentivize them to accept Section 8 housing vouchers. Um, we're doing landlord outreach and education um, because we feel that it's um, important to have access to existing units in ways that we don't currently see. Um, there are many landlords who uh, are reluctant to rent to low-income residents, particularly those with housing, housing choice vouchers, uh, also known as Section 8. Um, so we're working in many ways to improve that percentage of units that are available to low-income residents. Um, one of the things we're doing is starting to thank our landlords who are working with us uh, and our partner agencies. So we're having a landlord appreciation breakfast on August 30th. We're going to highlight people who are doing great work. And our intent is to really start some um, relationship building in ways that haven't existed before and to expand that network of landlords. Um, next slide, please. So really that breakfast is seen as a kickoff to a broader engagement. We wanna meet regularly with landlords and, and have peer-to-peer -peer recruitment so that um, we can build both uh, in Monroe County, but also regionally um, a broader um, network of landlords and property managers that are going to um, serve people who are uh, facing housing insecurity. Morgan also shared information on the Landlord Risk Mitigation Fund. The Landlord Risk Mitigation Fund is another strategy. This is something that we're partnering with from the Bloomington Housing Authority. They received funding to stand up this program um, within the city limits. And um, we are helping them expand so that it can also be used in the rest of Monroe County outside of the city of Bloomington. And this is really an insurance policy for landlords. So if a landlord is reluctant to rent to a tenant for a variety of reasons, this fund will say, okay, um, first of all, we have an education program that's going to help tenants be better tenants, but also if something happens and you have damages to your units that exceed um, the deposit, you'll have a backup that can help pay for those um, damages. Commissioner Penny Githens highlighted the work Heading Home has done to house veterans. I just want to point out to the public that um, one of the things that Heading Home has done is They've been targeting specific subpopulations um, to house. And through the work that Marion taught, sorry, I'm choking them. Through the work that they've done, they've housed 16 veterans so far this year. And I think that's quite an accomplishment. The council and commission also discussed other projects that could receive ARPA funding and how to select more projects that could receive funding as well. The commissioners and the counselors agreed to meet again in the near future to continue to discuss project funding. In today's feature report, WFHB correspondent Brooklyn Lambright touches on the impact of redistricting on Indiana's 2024 election. Lambright speaks with Julia Vaughn, the executive director for Common Cause Indiana, a nonpartisan organization that works to promote open, ethical, and accountable government for Indiana residents. We turn to Lambright for more.
Indiana, the legislative maps used to divide Hoosiers into voting districts are more biased towards one party than 95% of maps drawn in other U.S. states. What is expected to be a fair process meant to encourage voter turnout and strengthen minority voters has become a process known as gerrymandering. Every 10 years, new legislative maps are drawn to adjust for fluctuations in population. However, the practice has become an opportunity for politicians across the board to secure a majority win for their party. The last redistricting map was drawn in 2021, meaning the next redraw will be in 2031. Julia Vaughn, the executive director of Common Cause Indiana, a nonprofit organization which lobbies for accountable and honest government, proposes a law reform which prohibits gerrymandering entirely. And unfortunately, what happens, particularly when you have politicians leading the process, is politics takes over. So we think you need to spell out in law that number one, you cannot draw these districts to benefit a political party, to benefit any particular candidate, or to benefit any individual person. And that's how you stop gerrymandering, because that gives you a big tool. If, uh, you know, the districts don't do that, that gives you a tool to go to court and hold whoever drew the maps accountable for not following that principle. So, you know, we need not only a different set of people to control the redistricting process, but we also need some language in state law that says whoever draws the maps, you can't gerrymander. There are a few guidelines Indiana redistricting has to follow. The first being that each district must be equally populated. This follows the principle that one person equals one vote. The next is that districts must comply with the Voting Rights Act, meaning districts must expand on the strength of minority voters rather than splitting minority votes to dismantle their voting power. Indiana's Constitution also requires that districts are contiguous, meaning they must touch. In 2015, Common Cause Indiana joined with the League of Women Voters Indiana to create the All In for Democracy Coalition, made up of 33 organizations across the state to raise awareness about and combat redistricting. The All In for Democracy Coalition held a mapping competition in 2021. A committee made up of three Democrats, three Republicans, and three Independents held 10 hearings to understand what Hoosiers thought state districts should look like. Hoosiers across the state were then encouraged to create fair district maps for that year's redistricting cycle. Contestants were able to use Districter, a publicly available software with data about Indiana's communities. The submitted maps were judged by the politically impartial committee and the fairest map was selected. While the winning map was not approved by Indiana's General Assembly, Vaughn says the mapping competition raised awareness about redistricting across the state. Um, While we weren't able to convince the Indiana General Assembly to adopt the maps that won our competition back in 2021, Our coalition certainly did a great job at turning people out to the state house to testify on the issue, to getting public comment and public participation in the process like we've really never seen before here in Indiana. So, you know, we're we're very proud to lead the effort to set the example of how this should be done 
and also really help Hoosiers make their voices heard on the maps that were adopted back in 2021. Getting reforms surrounding gerrymandering is difficult in states like Indiana, where one party holds a majority of the power in the state house. Indiana also lacks a ballot initiative process, which would place a citizen-proposed measure directly on the ballot. You know, it's really tough to get reform of redistricting in a state like Indiana where we don't have the ballot initiative process. You know, I want to emphasize that uh, many states are doing redistricting different or did it different in 2021. For example, our neighbor to the north, Michigan, um, they had a, a citizens commission that we actually borrowed a lot of the model for for the model commission we created here in Indiana. But in Michigan, they were able to effect this change uh, because they have a ballot initiative process. You know, folks, volunteers went out, they collected a certain number of signatures to qualify for the ballot, and then Michiganders were able to vote directly. And, you know, Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, Independents, most voters recognize that gerrymandering, it's just wrong. You know, it is anti-democratic. And um, if we had the ability to vote on it directly here in Indiana, I have no doubt uh, that that we could pass reform. But like I said earlier, that's not an option here. Women for Change, an organization that provides civic learning and advocates for better outcomes in health, economic stability, and personal safety for women in Indiana, commissioned a study of Indiana's redistricting practice in 2011. Conducted by Christopher Warshaw, the associate professor at George Washington University, the study found that the 2011 redistricting plan in Indiana had a, quote, substantial bias in favor of Republicans. Republicans won 54.2% of the statewide vote in 2012, but held 78% of Indiana's congressional seats. Warshaw also found that even if the statewide vote changed by five percentage points in either direction politically, the efficiency gap or ratio of wasted votes by each party would still be largely in favor of Republicans. Warshaw wrote in the study, quote, Moreover, the level of bias in 2012 was more extreme than 86% of previous elections and more pro-Republican than 91% of previous U.S. congressional elections over the past 45 years, end quote. Since the redistricting in 2011, Bond says voters have begun to notice a gap between themselves and their legislators. Gerrymandering allows for extreme politicians to get elected despite a mostly moderate electorate. We're really proud that I think there's a far greater understanding now in Indiana about how impactful redistricting is. You know, in the previous cycles that I participated in back in um, 2001 and 2011, I don't think there was really the awareness that exists now. And I think one reason is you know, Indiana's passed some pretty radical laws over the past several years. You know, with the first one, I think, that caught our members' attention was the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, or RIFRA. Uh, you know, when that passed, I think a lot of people, you know, thought to themselves, 
gee, that's that's not a priority for me. That's not something I think the General Assembly needed to pass into law. You know, why is this elected General Assembly so much more conservative than me and, and my neighbors? And there have been other issues, certainly the abortion ban, um, um, uh, you know, corporate welfare um, issues involving uh, public safety, all sorts of issues. I think people are now understanding that uh, our legislature isn't really representative of many voters across our state because the lines have been rigged. Politicians often use a technique called cracking and packing when drawing new districts. Packing involves placing voters with similar political interests into as few districts as possible. Cracking splits voters with similar political interests into multiple districts in hopes it will lessen their ability to elect their preferred candidate. By using these techniques, politicians are strategically picking voters to predict the outcome of state legislative elections. These techniques often affect communities of color the most. Because communities of color often elect left-leaning candidates, conservative politicians pack more liberal, diverse communities into the smallest number of districts as possible. Here in Indiana, because, you know, most of our uh, communities of color are in just a few urban areas of the state, uh, gerrymandering very often carves those communities up. So they really can't flex their political muscle. They can't make their voice fully heard as strong as it should be because their communities have been sliced and diced and put into districts um, that with citizens that that may not share the same concerns, uh, live in the same communities as they do. Gerrymandering also impacts voter turnout. Voters who never see their preferred candidate get elected may give up on voting entirely. We hear time and again people say, why should I bother? Uh, My candidate's not going to win anyway. And in gerrymandered districts, you know, again, that's a hard thing to rebut. So um, I think, you know, this is voter turnout and, and election issues. They're complicated and it's never just one thing. But again, I think gerrymandering is the single biggest reason for our our poor participation here in Indiana. Common Cause Indiana's proposed solution to unfair redistricting is an independent citizens redistricting commission. New maps would be drawn by a multipartisan and diverse committee that best reflects the state's citizenry. And the key thing is you've got to remove that conflict of interest. You know, as long as legislators control the process, um, they're not going to draw districts for voters. They're going to draw districts for politicians. So if we want districts drawn for voters, then we've got to have voters actually drawing the districts. For more information on Common Cause Indiana and redistricting in Indiana, visit commoncause.org. Vaughn encourages voters to sign up for action alerts, which notify recipients on updates from Indiana's State House. For voters looking to take action, Vaughn says reaching out to state representatives regarding redistricting is best done when the legislature is not in session. As Vaughn said, quote, reforming the system could mean a whole new day for democracy in Indiana. For WFHB News, I'm Brooklyn Lambright.
Up next, we have Lil Bub's Lil Show, a co-production between the WFHB Local News and Lil Bub's Big Fund. We turn now to that segment. Welcome to Lil Bub's Lil Show, a weekly co-production from WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fund. We highlight adoptable animals with special needs in South Central Indiana and spotlight topics to promote human animal welfare. First, here is today's featured animal. This week's featured animal is Posh, a Manx cat She is a dignified old lady who enjoys getting up in your business, napping next to you, and playing fetch. She is front declawed and diabetic, but she takes her insulin without fuss and is on a special diet. She has no adoption fee. To get this loving girl out of the shelter and into your lap, you may reach out to the City of Bloomington Animal Shelter. If you're interested in adopting today's featured pet, you can learn more at our websites, goodjobbub.org and wfhb.org. You're listening to Lil Bub's Lil Show, a co-production of WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fund. We now turn to this week's featured topic. For today's featured topic, I'll be talking about the PUP Act, which was recently introduced to Congress. As our communities grapple with complex challenges of helping people who are unhoused or facing housing insecurity with the shelter and support services they need, we cannot ignore the impact of pet-inclusive housing policies. Individuals who are facing housing insecurity are often forced to make the distressing decision to either give up their pets or remain unhoused a decision no one should ever have to make. For example, nearly half of pet owners experiencing housing insecurity in Los Angeles reported being turned away from shelters because of restrictive pet policies. In 2019, it was estimated that 12% of unsheltered homeless adults owned pets, but more recent estimates put that percentage closer to 25. According to another study, 48% of unhoused pet-owning individuals reported being turned away from a shelter because of pet policies. Similarly, the National Alliance to End Homelessness conducted a survey to assess why individuals experiencing homelessness avoid shelters, and 22% of respondents indicated they avoided shelter because their pet was not allowed to be with them. Pets are family provide immeasurable comfort, and often give their owners a sense of belonging and purpose. They are a source of companionship and emotional support. These animals are a lifeline for those going through difficult times and provide comfort and a sense of responsibility. In June, a group of representatives introduced the Bipartisan PUP Act to Congress. PUP stands for Providing for Unhoused People with Pets. If passed, the bill will establish a grant program administered by the USDA. Funds will help local governments and nonprofit organizations that provide shelter or permanent supportive housing to retrofit property 
to accommodate unhoused individuals with pets, while providing additional veterinary services, including spaying and neutering, vaccinations, and other basic medical procedures. The PUP Act will help ensure that families, veterans, and other people experiencing homelessness with pets don't have to make the impossible choice between shelter and their companion animals. If this is important to you, you can email or call your local representative and ask them to co-sponsor the PUP Act. Christine Kim, founder and board member of My Dog is My Home, an organization integral to bringing this bill to life, had this to say. Through My Dog is My Home's work with homeless service organizations across the U.S., we know providers recognize the importance of preserving the human-animal bond for people experiencing homelessness, particularly homeless veterans. People need their animals the most when they are in crisis. With the introduction of the Providing for Unhoused People with Pets Act, legislators, advocates, and service providers together are now carving a path forward so communities can transform their systems to keep people and animals together in shelter and housing. Thank you for tuning in to Lil Bub's Lil Show on WFHB, produced in partnership with Lil Bub's Big Fund. For more info on today's featured animal and topic, find us online at goodjobbub.org and wfhb.org. Support for the WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Noel Haraski-Schneider in partnerships with CATS Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Brooklyn Lambright. Lil Bub's Lil Show is produced by Christine Brackenoff and Stacey Brodovsky. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. For WFHB, I'm Cade Young. And I'm Noel Haraski-Schneider. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at wfhb.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters, WFHB, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Spectrum, a program exploring the worlds of science and technology, coming up next on WFHB Community Radio.
You've been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 